Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a loose discussion of travel, diving, driving, gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 176, and it's proudly brought to you by the newly formed TGN Supporter Crew, which is now, uh, gosh, what are we, about a month and a half into its existence, and we thank you all for your continued support. James, how's it going? Oh, yeah, things are good. Uh, you know, it's getting cooler here, but uh, still getting a chance to uh, go outside and walk around and, you know, take a few photos and that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, the the supporter crew's uh, continuing. Um, you know, we, we always do a little pitch at the top of the shows. We're still trying to iron out how to do this best. But uh, if you'd like to support the show, please visit thegraynado.com. There's a couple different levels, including the, the top one, which is $100 a year. You can get yourself uh, a strap and some stickers. Uh, it's a signed uh, TGN uh, UTA NATO strap, which uh, we're pretty pumped about. I've been, really been enjoying mine. So if you're interested, that's all we need to say for this episode. But uh, you could support us at thegraynado.com. Uh, if you don't want to, maybe just uh, share this episode with a friend. It should be a fun one. Kind of talking about what, we, what we'd like to see from 2022. Kind of maybe some resolutions, but also some, some sort of goals. Right, Jason? Or even, even yeah, just some wants. Say. Putting it out there. Yeah, true. I mean, look, look, I mean, all bets are off these days. I mean, the past two years have been a bit of a bit hit and miss, uh, mm-hmm. to say the least. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic going into this year. I think uh, despite a surge in, in the virus, I think, uh, you know, hopefully with, with the days getting longer and spring coming, we, we can all look forward to some fun times and new adventures. And I'm, I'm ready for it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and the days are getting longer, which uh-huh. I'm happy about. It's, it's, it's bitter cold here these days, but it's, uh, it's brighter. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, you posted a shot with the Halios the other day, and and I think yeah. on on your stories you did it with the with the temperature, and it was even considerably cooler <laughs> than in, here in Toronto. I think today it's about yeah, it's, negative eighteen Celsius, and I think that's about what it was when you posted. Yeah, yeah, it's it was pretty uh, cold. It, it was a cold stretch. Part of me likes the kind of element of uh, you know surviving it, dressing right, mm-hmm. and uh, I was wearing that eight fifty fill Nerona uh, big puffy jacket that, that yeah I got last week and it, it's impervious um you know I, I need that driving the defender which doesn't have much heat to speak <laughs> of uh, and i've got a, i've got a final note related to that so i'm, yeah. I'm just going to drop that hint now and i'll talk about it a little bit later but uh yeah that's been great we mentioned this last episode that Nerona had sent us some stuff so this isn't an ad per se but they did provide some really nice clothing to us so to, you know keep that in mind but i've been living in this i, I think it's just the 750 version of the, of the one that you've got so it's this heavy puffer yeah and the fun thing about this one is it's the first kind of big, thick, heavyweight puffer that I've ever owned that isn't that heavy. Oh, yeah. Like, you, it wears like a sweatshirt. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I was out, yesterday was negative 10. I went for a walk for about an hour, like a slow walk. I was taking photos. I'll talk about the camera in a moment. It's a, a camera that comes out the day this episode comes out. And I was just, I was just so nice and warm. And, and even I could put my hands in my pockets and keep them warm because when you're running a camera, you don't want to wear gloves. So. Yeah. I have really cold hands and cold feet. I, just, I lost whatever, you know, Ontario boy edge I had <laughs> when I lived in Vancouver for nearly a decade and, and didn't have to deal with real winter. Uh, so I, I get cold quick, especially like hand, hands and feet, especially. Mm. And uh, yeah. this jacket's it's the nicest one I've ever owned. It's so warm. It's so easy to wear. Simple pockets, nice hood. Uh, yeah, no, it's making a difference. And it, it just makes it a little bit easier to be like, I don't care that it's negative, whatever. I'll, <laughs> I'll still go for my walk. I'll get my steps in or yeah. go for a little hike or go take some pictures. So yeah, yeah. it's nice stuff. Yeah. And, and kind of speaking of being outside, I've been, uh, I've been running um, since November. I, I used to be a fairly avid runner back in, gosh, my early 20s. And I kind of burned out on it um, and, and kind of gave it up after that, other than a couple mm-hmm. of brief forays. And, and you know, the, the trouble with 
our weather here sometimes during hit and miss winters is we get a dump of snow, then it'll kind of melt down and then freeze and be kind of this crusty ice. It's not great for cross country skiing, which is kind of my go-to winter exercise regimen. And so I decided this year I was going to get back into running just to kind of bridge those times when I can't get on skis. And the problem with that is this, this hard pack kind of ice and crust and snow that's all over the place. And so I finally bought a pair of um, winter running shoes. These are from a brand called Icebug. It's a Swedish brand. And they make a shoe called the Arcus GTX. And it's, uh, it's a Gore-Tex shoe. And it has that kind of, I don't know, a few years ago, the, the few brands like Hoka One One came out with these running shoes with the really thick cush kind of midsole, lots of, lots of midsole cushioning. Yeah. And this has that it's got, a, it's Gore-Tex. So it's, it keeps my feet dry, but then the, the sole is actually studded with little carbide, um, uh, studs for, for grip. And it, 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 it's a huge difference. It's like night and day. I, I've, I've worn like strap on yak tracks and those sorts of things that you pull mm-hmm. on over running shoes. And they always kind of felt wrong to run in. Um, but these, these ice bugs are fantastic and it's, it's made all the difference. And I've been actually enjoying kind of just getting out once or twice a week for like a three mile or just to kind of keep, yeah. keep some modicum of fitness in between, you know, rowing and any skiing I can do. And, and, uh, and yeah, I've, I've, Nerona sent me a, a pair of tights that I've been wearing and that's been, uh, that's been working well too in the cold too. So it's, you know, I, 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 I firmly believe in, in this is kind of getting into, you know, 2022 and, and kind of a fitness element, I think, you know, the more you can yeah. get outside and do stuff is, uh, just makes such Absolutely. a big difference even mentally to see the sun. My, so I used to run a ton when I lived in Vancouver, which I, I really liked and I enjoyed it. But I, once I moved to Toronto, I realized that what I liked about it was the setting in Vancouver. Mm, yeah. I never really got bored of how beautiful it was. And, and I gave running a good two or three month spin here. Yeah. Uh, just 5Ks, maybe the occasional like 7, 8K sort of run around High Park, that sort of thing. And like, I, I just, I never wanted to put my shoes on and I loved doing it in Vancouver. Yeah. Do you have a route that you like that's beautiful or do you, do you approach it kind of like a different way? Because I would love to kind of crack this code and get back to enjoying running. How, how do you approach it? What's your route like? I, um, I've got a couple of routes. What, what, I kind of have two approaches. One approach is to make it kind of a functional run. So the other day, you know, we're still getting... Um, orders for the the TGN supporter kits with the the strap mm-hmm. and the sticker, and I just put those all in kind of slim FedEx envelopes to ship off, and I'm doing that daily. And last week I did my FedEx run, literally running, and I have this small mountain hardware uh, backpack that's like really it's like made for running. It like fits really kind of snug to the back, and it has like a pouch for a water bottle at the front, and clips across the chest in two places, and. It, it's perfect for this sort of thing. So I put this pack of envelopes in there and I kind of walk and ra- walked and ran to the FedEx place, which is a couple miles away. And then I ran home and it kind of made this like mission out of it. It's like I'm doing something, uh, you know, purposeful as well as getting my exercise in. So that was kind yeah, of, like double value. So that's kind of like one thing I do. And then the other one is we, we live not too far from this kind of meandering creek that we kayak on in the, in the summer, but in the winter it's frozen and you can actually walk on it. But uh, there's a trail that runs alongside of it for you know quite a ways, and I kind of make that part of a three mile loop. So it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see you know animals and not many people, and there's not really traffic. Uh, little bridges occasionally that go over the creek that you have to cross, and that sort of thing. So yeah, scenery makes scen- scenery makes a big difference. And then I listen to um, I listen to music. I, some people listen to you know podcasts or audiobooks and things. I I need kind of some sort of a beat to 
yeah. keep me going. So I use my AirPods, uh, which have helped as well. I, yeah, maybe I can make it back. You know, the other thing I've been eyeing, and, and this is later on in the show as well, maybe we're kind of overlapping a little bit here, but I've been eyeing a Peloton. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I've I've enjoyed having the the like very simple. I actually, when I got it, I got it for free. This uh, exercise bike I use, and I like it. I've been using. You know, I've I've talked about it before. Where I'll push it up to my desk, where I have a couple big monitors, and I'll put on something from Global Cycling Network and kind of ride along with them. I use the Garmin to kind of do the cadence yeah. and the heartbeat measurement because the bike doesn't have any smart features at all. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like in in my past, whenever I made kind of a big investment, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was you know buying the Bowflex weights, which I have and haven't touched in uh, you know during pandemic for whatever reason, it, it's always kind of the impetus to to push forward. And I don't know if like a couple thousand dollar indoor bike is is the right option. So I don't know. If you're listening and you love Peloton, I, I don't. I, you don't have to be a spokesperson. You don't have to like try and sell me on it. But if, if you really like it and there's like it has some staying power, if I knew that I would get three or four great workouts a week from it then i think that the money is almost secondary yeah yeah third yeah. even but yeah i don't know i definitely a, a focus for 2022 is you know i just i let the pandemic kind of pause a lot of my movement in life both functional and experiential movements yeah and and i think i need to find that functional movement back because i've just i've lost all my edge that i that i would have had kind of beforehand so yeah well it's a good it's a good time that, to... that's okay i mean things come and go right um, right and luckily you know i think we're both lucky uh jason you know you had a, a rougher health year last year than i did certainly yeah uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to hear that you're out out and moving around these these ice bugs look cool though don't they yeah they're they're awesome. And I, I think I was just going to mention with, when it comes to the Peloton now, I realize that a you know $200 pair of running shoes is a little different than a, a, a Peloton. But, you know, sometimes you make that investment that little bit and it's enough to trigger. You know, when I got that yeah. that hydro or water rower that I talked about. Oh, I was looking at those a too. Year or two Don't ago. have anywhere to put one. Yeah. The space is an issue, although they do stand up and look kind of nice against the wall um, when you're not using it. But it's made a difference. I use that once, maybe twice a week in between the running and, you know, like... Sometimes it just takes that little bit to, you know, even, yeah. even a new pair of shoes or a new pair of tights or kind of a cool jacket. Um, often I wear that uh, Volabach glow-in-the-dark oh, yeah. uh, shell that we got. I wear that uh, for running as well. And it's like sometimes it's that bit of motivation that you need. And mm-hmm. I think I'm going to table my the second thing I was going to talk about here until we get into our, our kind of meat of our 2022 Yeah, yeah, no problem. Chatting How about you want me to pick relevant. up with, uh, with what I've been up to? Yeah, in fact, uh, I want to hear about this uh, this uh, camera that that's launching today. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so for those of you who were waiting for the show at six a.m. ET, my apologies. This is one of the rare opportunities where we had a chance to uh, publish alongside a press embargo, so we held the show until nine a.m., um, which I know is a bit of a pain for some of you who use it for specific uses. Uh, the morning it comes out, whether it's a drive to work or whatever. Uh, so my apologies on that, but. A little while ago, of course, I, I traveled to Germany to see the Leica HQ and 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 do their celebration of photography, the Oscar Barnack Awards. And uh, a little while ago, they sent an email and they basically said, like, they, they didn't say what it was. They, they sent an email with an NDA um, and they said, you know, sign this and, and you can we'll send you something to take a look at. And so I signed it. You know, why not? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I get a lot of cool watches, but the 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 idea of some camera gear on loan. Is still very exciting. That's like borrowing a car. Yeah, it's so much fun, and uh, and so I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if it'd be a lens or, uh, you know, maybe maybe it was the new Q2 reporter, which came out while I was in Germany. But what arrived is the brand new M11, 
Nice. Which is their, you know, flagship kind of photojournalist style camera. Uh, it's they did the M10 several years ago, and then the M10R was kind of the high resolution. There's a go. I have an M10P, uh, and they sent the M11. They sent it with a 35 Sumalux, which is kind of their one of their two kind of most quintessential high end lenses. If you're not a, a Leica devotee, and I have a fair amount of experience with the M10 on a 35 Lux, so it's a very apples to apples scenario. Yeah. Uh, and and I have to say the the eleven, it, it's a bit of a departure from some of the classic elements of an M. It doesn't have a a, a bottom plate. Uh, it uses a cartridge style battery now, huh. uh, similar to like an SL two or the Q two. Yeah, really, it's something else. So I got I get a black one, which means it has a, a an aluminum top plate. So it's a little bit lighter than my M ten, which is all brass. Uh, controls are similar but streamlined. It's a sixty megapixel wow. uh, sensor. Yeah. The sensor is one thing, and, and this is easily one of the nicest cameras I've ever shot with. It's easily the the most simple and straightforward M I've ever kind of messed around with. Really easy to use, really fantastic for focusing. If you want to use the screen on the back, that's great. They, they're going to sell an EVF as well. Uh, but the USB-C charging is a big thing for me because when I travel with my Q, I have to travel with a couple more batteries because it's easy to go through them. And I have to travel with a little charger yeah. uh, that has to plug into the wall. And the idea of just being able to plug it into a USB battery mm-hmm. or the same connection that my MacBook uses, that my headphones use, that my phone... Well, not my phone. I have an iPhone. Come on, Apple. Get your act together. <laughs> the same thing that so many of my devices use is like, that's a huge feature set for me. I'm sure that there'll be some purists who want the original kind of a bottom plate that you take off, but you're not loading film into this thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And they, they tuck the the SD card slot right in there next to the, the magazine style battery. So it's really easy to use. It also has onboard storage, so it has 64 gigabytes of storage built into the camera. Oh, wow. So if you run out of space on your card or if you want to split file sort. So the sensor is really trick in that it uses something called pixel binning where you have different sizes of file. But they, regardless of what they are, they use the whole sensor. So it's not like if you want a 30 megapixel image, it only uses the interior 50% of a 60 megapixel camera. It actually bins the sensor elements together to give you the resolution that you kind of want. Let's say you wanted less than 60 for size or speed or, or even in some ways lower the resolution, you actually get more sensitivity. Huh. Uh, so you get a more dynamic range. I think it tops out at 15 stops. So if you know something about cameras, that's remarkable. You know, this one operates up to one sixteen thousandth of a second, has a 64 ISO noise floor, Jeez. which is incredible. You can set it to 64 on a really bright day and then still use, you know, an F14 lens. Wow. Wow. 64% larger battery than an M10. it's just like it's a huge huge update over the over the 10 it handles very similarly it has a very similar set of um, features and and buttons and and that sort of thing Uh, i'll find and link a a more camera e review than what i can provide i'm not a camera reviewer i'm I'm working uh photographer in some ways and uh i i just gotta say you know one a thank you to leica for sending this and and by the time i've recorded this this would have been sent back but thank you very much for sending the camera and uh, when I eventually have, say, a spare $9,000 <laughs> for that body, uh, it would be an easy uh, an easy sell on my part. I'm very impressed by it. I really enjoyed getting a chance to shoot some frames with it. If you want to see the images um, or a selection of images that I shot with it, swing by my Instagram, at J.E. Stacy. Uh, I'll have a little post about the camera and, uh, and such uh, ready 
the the handling of an M thing is kind of different. You know, being a rangefinder, it's a little bit more uh, classic in terms of its manual focus. And your closest thing to autofocus is uh, focus peaking. So it's, it feels kind of old school in its handling. If you don't know your way around an M, there's a bit of a learning curve. But once you're there, it feels like natural. It's the camera equivalent of a manual transmission. And in this case, it's the camera equivalent of a manual transmission in a V12. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's wow. just... It's all of it. It's so fun. I, I'd love to try a Leica M of any sort. I, the only um, Leica I've actually handled was an old, uh, I don't remember what it was, M, gosh, what would it have been, M5, M6, like a film rangefinder. Yeah, and sure. M6 is the is the classic, yeah. I enjoyed borrowing it and, and using it. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time with it, but I'd love to try one of the modern M digitals. And, you know, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, $9,000 is a lot of money, but it's uh and it's way more than than i or we you know speaking for gashani and myself have ever spent on on a camera now we've probably spent yeah. close to that once you add underwater components and that sort of thing but like this is this is a tool something conceivably especially the, the m footprint um that, that you'd be using quite a bit because of the ease of carrying it around the quality um etc um but i guess i have to ask like strip away the Leica name and what that adds to, to a price tag. Like, do you think this camera's, it's hard to say, but worth $9,000? I mean, is this Rolex Submariner kind of territory? Oh, I would much sooner spend that kind of money on a camera than a watch. That's easy. Hmm, okay. Um, yeah. Way, way sooner. Uh, and then the only, the, the comparison is you'd have to look at the most, like the peak bodies from any other camera system but the big difference is with the the leica one you get leica yeah, lenses yeah. or the the option to use yeah. leica lenses in a native environment and you say what you will about a body uh you know th- this is a very high-end camera but there's other companies that make very high-end camera bodies mm-hmm. leica remains and i don't know that it's all that like that there's all that much like argument in the space yeah. They simply make the finest lenses in the world. I mean, this is a $9,000 camera and the the lens on it is another 5 grand. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's just it it's it's a very like specific perspective yeah. on on how to make a camera and don't get me wrong, that Leica makes cameras at the other end of the scale as well. Mm-hmm. Uh of their scale, you know, uh you could look at something like like a Use Q is going to cost you a few grand. Yeah. Maybe even less than that. Yeah. Um, and then they have uh, the crop sensor stuff, the medium form, or like the the, the smaller sensor units that kind of can sometimes share sensors and things like that with Panasonic or have in the past. Yeah. So it's difficult to characterize like exclusively on the M, but the M is their 911. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in many ways, this is a 911 Turbo S or a GT3 RS. This is the the top one that they're going to offer. So it's hard to look at it and go like, oh, but you could have. Um, you could have a whole queue for forty five hundred dollars or whatever they cost, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you go like, yeah, absolutely. And and if you're if you had one camera and you had my job, you would want the queue or the Q two before this because you want autofocus, you want the macro mode, yeah, you want the simplicity of the handling. And I think the queue is is the one that I would have the longest. But if you're if you have the ability to have something on top of that, and and you know, I I I've I've been through Canon, I've been through Sony, and then I got to Leica and and Canon and Sony both gave me reasons to leave. Hmm. Yeah. And I have yet to find that reason, mostly because of the Q. The 10 for me, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to borrow one from, from Hodinkee and have for a couple years now. It's not mine, to be clear, but the, the 10 is an amazing camera. 
but I don't know how it would apply to taking photos of watches typically. Oh, yeah. It would slow me down, yeah. whereas the, the queue speeds me up. Yeah. But for all types of other photography, if I'm walking around on a Saturday and let's say I'm going to a coffee shop and later going to hit a brewery and maybe some trinket antique stores in between the back in the day when we could kind of do that <laughs> kind of stuff pretty freely. Yeah. This is the sort of camera that I want with me. And, and for that, I, I really like it. it. I totally understand that it is that like yeah. upper echelon of of a, of an already expensive world. But hey, I, one, I didn't pay for it. We, we made that clear up front. It's, it's a loner and it's gone back. Uh, but hey, if, if you've got the money or, or really if your living is in this space, it, it feels like a no-brainer for me. Hmm. Decent write-off too, right? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. That's awesome. Oh yeah, always like some uh, some new camera gear. Oh, uh, uh, speaking of new gear, I cut this out of the last episode because it was like a, a rant and it didn't go where I needed it to go. So we're going to try this again. Um, <laughs> I'll keep it short because what I'm asking for is some advice from the listeners. I bought a Wacom tablet. One of my goals for 2022, and this will lead us into the main topic, is to get like faster at... I think I'm like a decent photo editor. I'm good at a few things, but the faster I could get mean I would have more free time. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd like to find like some sort of a new balance. 2021 was like one of the busiest work years of my life and I didn't love many parts of it. And, uh, and I would like to try and buy some of that time back. And I spent a lot of time on my photo edits. So I bought a Wacom tablet. It's just an Intuos. It's like a relatively entry level tablet. But if anyone listening in the audience uses a tablet and has like a preferred YouTube video about how to get over that first learning curve, because when I, when I pick it up now, it feels like I'm brushing somebody else's teeth with my left hand, <laughs> and and I found a BH photo uh, video that that's on my list of things to to get to and go through. But if you have your favorite, it can be a long video, it can be short. I don't even care if it's paid. It could be a masterclass on like using the Wacom. I don't it doesn't bother me if you think it's good. But if you actually use one of these Wacom tablets, uh, most likely if you use it professionally, use a, a higher end one than this. But if you have some tips or video to suggest, uh, drop it in the comments or, or, you know, send me an email at the grenade gmail.com. I'd appreciate it as that's something I'm, uh, I'm working on for, uh, for the year. Cool. Well, your real estate on your desk must be getting, uh, getting, getting it's smaller. It's getting pretty packed in here for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, I changed my monitor layout, uh, to try and make a little bit more space, but I, I ate it up quickly. <laughs> Need a bigger desk, I guess. All right. Well, we should, uh, jump into the main topic here, but before we do that, what, uh, what's on your wrist? Yeah, on my wrist, I have the new Doxa Sub 600T, uh, the steel example, the the production version, and this is in Diving Star Yellow with the uh, steel bezel insert. I also have a professional version on a orange rubber strap with the ceramic bezel insert. Uh, so I've had it for uh, less than 12 hours. I've maybe had it on my wrist for an hour, maybe less than that even. It, it just, just got in yesterday and, uh, and just getting to it today, but... Nice. Wow. I like it so far. Both on bracelet? I like the color. I like the steel bezel. Uh, this the, the diving star is on the bracelet. The bracelet's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, it's the right size. It wears really well. I think it's just nice to see them branch out a little bit. I mean, you know, we were all kind of waiting for what's what's the second act. And certainly this isn't brand new territory for Docs. I mean, they, they made this watch in the 80s, but but it's yeah. uh, it's new for what we've seen in, since, you know, 2000 or 2001 or whatever it was. And and uh, hats off to them for for doing it. I, I have a few quibbles about it, but I think by and large that case shape and just kind of the overall aesthetic are just just really cool. Yeah. Kind of riding that trend these days, right? With the FXD and the PRX from Tissot, and you know that kind of integrated bracelet look, kind of a more edgy case. I, I think yeah, it's a neat direction for them. 
Yeah, it's definitely a nice angular case. It, it, what I do like is the way that they've they've done the end links. It looks almost like it's uh, integrated, but then yeah. you could put a standard strap in this. Yeah, it just has um, it's not even a hooded lug. It looks like a hooded lug, but that's actually the face of the link. Oh, sure. So it is like an open sort of lug design. It's just this very strange. You'll see it in the photos when when I when I get the piece up. But if you're listening to this on Thursday. Probably have my review on Hodinkee uh, within the next week, so just uh, just pay pay attention for that. If if this is a watch you're interested in, I'm really happy with it. I think I would lean towards a black one, which is a weird thing for me. That's not usually my my go to, yeah. but I think the black with the orange hand and the steel bezel for mm. fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, Jason, I have nothing but dive watches these days, and I still want <laughs> one of these. Like I have a straight up problem. Yeah, yeah. There's been so many dive watches that have come in in the last year and a half where they're within a price point that you can kind of just excuse, even though maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, like fifteen hundred dollars for the Seiko or for this or or whatever. And like, I got to slow down or I got to sell something. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I like this one a lot. Uh, I think we're like we've been saying this for about two years, so I guess it proved out that we weren't dead wrong. But this has been a good time for dive watch fans. They're getting a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, the variety is up. You can go with, you can get great stuff from brands that most people have never heard of, which I think is kind of sweet. You can get great stuff from brands like Doxa, and then you can still get stuff like your, um, like what, like what you've got on your wrist for wrist check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wearing the the white dial Seamaster. Big surprise. I, uh, if anyone's following me on Such Instagram, watch, I just I wear it like nonstop. I've I've pretty much become a one watch person, and I've actually been tempted to. Like try a little experiment where I just go for like even a month or, or more um, only wearing this because it's just... I think that'd be an interesting story for Substack. Yeah, it's kind of the perfect... Uh, it's kind of become the perfect piece. I mean, it, it, it's comfortable. It's dead accurate. It's immune to magnetism and shock and this sort of stuff. And it's it's kind of classic looking, but also if you put it on a NATO or rubber, it just it wears like a proper kind of tool watch. And to your point about uh, dive watches, I mean, I think, you know, you're right. I mean, we live in, in such a great time for to, to be a, a lover of dive watches. And I, I don't know what else I can say about dive watches that that reflects the the appeal. I guess that's why, you know, we've been doing this for the better part of a decade is, is writing and talking about, about dive watches so much. They're just they're they're endlessly fascinating to me and just so appealing. And uh yeah, I mean, we both have very different ones on our wrists right now, but but they, yeah. they kind of you know touch that that core of of interest for both of us. Yeah, for sure. And in, in in your mind, because this is what I'm going through with the Bramont. Yeah, is I'm trying to find the perfect strap. <laughs> yeah, because that watch for me, kind of like your Omega, it's kind of like like with the 302. I could just wear that. Yeah, everything else could stay in the box. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it kind of covers all the bases. It does everything I want from a watch and it's easy to wear and on the right strap, but it's so um, comfortable. I can sleep with it on. Yeah. Which makes it kind of like a perfect day-to-day watch. Right. Right. Um, but I can't, you know, I've, I've had on the Hirsch pure, I've had on that cheap mesh, which ended up kind of bothering my wrist after a couple days. Mm. And then, uh, you know, I, I kind of like, I see your Seamaster on that Omega rubber. Yeah. And I think like, ah, oh, man, something like that. And, yeah. and I know Bramont makes the Temple Island and I have one of those for the solo. Yeah. And it's a great strap, but it's not the same thing. Right. There's something about the integration of that um, Seamaster strap. I, I, I wonder if, um, you know, my, my S2000 came with a, a wonderful Bramont uh, molded or, oh, or the, fitted the ribbed one, yeah. The ribbed one, which and the S500 used to have. Do they not make or that still, style yeah. for the S300 series? They don't. Not according to their website. Yeah, now. I yeah. think those are for 20, and then whatever the lug distance is on the 2000. I'm not. I'm not a. a lo- I'm not usually a long wearer of 
of rubber straps unless like I'm on a tropical trip or actually diving. Um, I, I just find they chafe and they don't go with everything. You know, they feel a little too sporty. Like, you know, my Garmin has a rubber strap on for obvious reasons. But um, I, I put that kind of Planet Ocean style rubber strap on, which fits perfectly. And it transformed the watch. It, it kind of had that high-low thing going where it, it felt, you know, this with the ceramic dial and kind of the glossy bezel, it, it has that sort of upscale feel. But then you put it on that strap and now you're, you feel like, you know, yeah. you feel like Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. I mean, it's that strap and it's, it just, it, it, it was so comfortable and I was wearing it a lot on that. Um, I, I did put it on a gray NATO, uh, a couple of days ago now and, and I'm loving it on that. I also have that old 1171 bracelet from like from Speedmaster days, like 70s Speedmaster bracelet that I made work with uncle Seiko end links. And that looks terrific. So, you know, to your question, I, I found a number of perfect straps for this thing, and I think that's part of the problem, or or maybe it's a it's a good problem to have, you <laughs> know, that's like what put, it is with the with like the, the brain on, like yeah. you, it's like there's so many that look good on it, but like which one is going to be the one? I probably would say for summer, maybe that rubber or the NATO. I don't know, yeah, but it's it it it, it continues to just be a blast to just change looks and, and change the straps around, so. Yeah, the 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 rubber thing. I I I'm curious. You know, this is the funny thing. Where if we were in the same country, even yeah. um, or able to travel more frequently, than we could now. I would loan you my M10 happily, <laughs> and I would ask if I could borrow or at least just try the 20 millimeter Omega strap. I almost want like oh, there's yeah. a chance that it would fit. It's the same lug distance. Yeah, it's true. A, Similar thickness, and yeah, I should try it on my uh, on my S302 and just see if it even fits. Oh yeah, then then I would know if I needed to hunt one down. Yeah, yeah. It's a very Omega branded strap. I don't know if that bothers you. It does me. I, I don't like wearing straps that have like Omega oh, that buckle would on bother me. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very yeah, specific kind of buckle. It's that kind of squared off uh, yeah. little pin. But Yeah, I, I really know. liked the Hirsch Pure on, on the S302. And, yeah. and I'm still hunting for a green one. Yeah. Um, so may, maybe that would be kind of the, the ideal. The watch looks really good on green, the 302. Mm, yeah. With the, the orange accent and the kind of tan tan coloring yeah. on, on a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, it, it just works so well on a NATO. But what doesn't? I, li- I like some. I like some variety, right? Yeah, so. right, right. All right. Anyways, how about uh, now that we're <laughs> well in? Uh, how about some uh, main topic? Yeah, definitely. We, we're we're doing 2022 now. We're we're I guess an episode late with this, but uh, mm-hmm. you know we're we're well into into January by the time this goes up about halfway through. And, and it's, I think, it, I think everybody had like a chance to kind of digest yeah. the idea of January now. And, and now we can kind of, uh, we can, we can come to the idea with some clearer heads, but uh, yeah, the goal here is kind of to break into the normal kind of TGN um, categories to travel, diving, driving gear, all that kind of stuff. Right. right. Um, but, and then just say what e- either if we have plans or kind of hopes or whatever for those spaces, mm-hmm. uh, and, and see if that led to, uh, to a kind of interesting set of topics. And I hope it's something we can continue in the comments on this, uh, on this post at, uh, at the Substack. So, yeah, yeah. uh, Jason, you want to kick it off with, uh, kind of where, where we think or what we want from watches for 2022? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I just got off, got done saying that, that the Seamaster is kind of my one watch and, and I, I see that being the case for the foreseeable future, but that said, um, my, my interest is no less. And I'd love to see some, some interesting new stuff from, from some of the brands, you know, I've been, I've been watching IWC, uh, recently and over the past year. And, and there, I feel like there's a bit of a resurgence. I feel like, you know, with all respect to George Kern, you know, he took some flack at the brand for kind of focusing on, on big changes and kind of marketing and things. And I feel like they've 
come a little bit full circle to their, what made them very appealing in the nineties, um, in a good way. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see them kind of continue these sort of modern retrospective references that like they've done with, with their pilot segment. Um, but somebody posted, I don't remember who it was. Um, one of those early ingenuer types that was like Genta design. And oh yeah. It looked sure. so good. And I thought like the engineers do, I, I always liked that line of watches from them. And then they got kind of really big and really angular. I, I always kind of still like them. I like the idea of that family. I'd love to see them kind of reinvent that, maybe make it a little smaller, a little more kind of nostalgic, but, but, but modern. Um, and then the Aqua Timer. Aqua Timer is a perfectly fine watch. It's, it's, it's done some cool stuff, but maybe it's time for them to kind of do a twist on the old Porsche design. You know, the one they made for the, the German Navy um, or, or the, the, I think it was the 3536, that, that one with the, it was very no nonsense. It was, it was like part of their GST line. Um, or a twin crown, something. I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm watching IWC with, with great interest. I, I've had a few over the yeah. years and, and I love the brand and, and I'd, I'd like to see them come up with something uh, interesting and I bet they will. So that's, yeah. that's kind of my first stab. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, th- I think a, a rebirth of the GST would be really cool. Yeah. And I think it's the right time for it. Yeah. You know, one of my thing is I would love to see more titanium in mm. the market. Right, right. Especially at budget side, which of course IWC wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> I guess that depends on your budget, of course. But yeah, yeah. I still think that in some ways they do make budget friendly, really good watches like like Mark 18s and yeah. and that kind of stuff. And and d- again, it depends on your budget. You know, that's at the kind of the top end of what we like to talk about on on TGN typically. Mm-hmm. And so this would be the 50th anniversary this year of the Royal Oak. Oh yeah, which would be a good time to also kind of lean in on the Genta and redo the Ingenieur, right? Right. Yeah, uh, I think you know it, it might it might be a little bit um, toe steppy of a move uh, with APs and, uh, enjoying the anniversary, but I, I want to say the Ingenieur is seventy six. I was something thinking like the that. Same. So so yeah. maybe it'll be a few years. Yeah, um, but yeah. It, it could be kind of fun to see something like that. I don't disagree. Well, a good time for the integrated bracelets. I mean, they're so hot right now. I mean, we were just talking about it, and and the Ingenieur would be a a, a really nice. Uh, piggyback on that yeah i think i think that's a, i think this is a prescient kind of choice they are at a great spot and it's interesting that you brought up um kern because i think breitling is also at a great spot now under his direction it, it might have just been kind of a, a brand alignment like maybe breitling aligns better with kind of kern's vision than iwc did yeah and it could also be the difference between one swiss country or one part of switzerland and another right yeah right right I, you know i don't think it's the easiest thing to be to come in and, and take over and, and work with one of these brands, especially these traditional long-standing brands like like the ones we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would agree. I think that could be pretty good. You know, for me, I would love to see pricing slow down. Mm, um, definitely. We're we're seeing just a a, a a balloon in terms of pricing, especially. I, I think we're seeing a lot of things too expensive in the sub like five to six thousand dollar space. Yeah. So things like like where maybe your um, Seamaster is the is the ceiling, right? And then all the way down to say a, a fifteen hundred dollar Seiko. Like I I think that the SPV one four three is a great thing for the price, but I think it would absolutely destroy at nine ninety five. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm not even saying that they need to do a lot because I think the 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 version maybe the one four seven that's on the rubber strap is nine ninety five. Just offer all of them on the rubber strap. So you can right. say that we have this great watch, the skin diver, modern skin diver at a thousand bucks. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think I, I would just love to see some of it slow down. There seems to be this belief that like, while the market's hot, we can charge whatever we want. And I think it's true. I don't think that they're necessarily wrong in their, in, in, in their planning, but I think we are seeing a lot of price uh, right now. And, and I think it's just, it's causing people some kind of value dilemmas. Where do they put the money and for how much? And, and then certain brands kind of own a price point and don't move that much. I think of Tudor and, and of course, Rolex, right? They kind of pick a price point and they just kind of rock at that price point, right. but other brands need to be get, need to get creative in terms of how they either overvalue, like how that, how they, um, under promise over deliver on what the watch actually is at a price point. Mm-hmm. Cause your price is kind of a promise to the customer. Yeah. And then on the other side, how they can undercut brands that don't move their pricing very much. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to see kind of more of that, um, more, more of where we can start talking about how good, of a deal, a watch might be given its peers. Like, look what's look what Grand Seiko's done with their pricing. It's just more expensive than it was when we were all talking about Grand Seiko five years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Nomos is a similar thing. Like, like we've seen just pricing kind of change and grow. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't or that price doesn't change over time. Of course, it does. I just love to see a slowing of that. Like, maybe we've reached the kind of top for a while. Let's wait for right. the next generation before we start to expand again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, value used to be much more part of the conversation when it comes to, uh, um, you know, the, the quality of a watch. I mean, you used to look at, uh, you know, a new watch that would come out even from, I don't know, IWC, I think a few years ago when they came out with a, kind of a smaller, more basic version of kind of the, in the Mark 11 or Spitfire line. And it was like, this watch is only, you know, whatever it was at the time, 3000 or whatever it was. And it's like, that's that's I mean that's something to get excited about as much as a new movement or or a new design is and I think we're getting to this point where there's this growing gap between if you want something that's a good value or or in, in a attainable budget you're you're looking at micro brands um, and then the rest of them you know everybody else is yeah you know, skipping above five six thousand and then if you want something that's closer to one or two thousand you're you're still at low end Seiko or micro brands so I agree with yeah. you yeah yeah. Uh, I mean, next up on mine, I, I would love to see kind of like more, I don't even know if field watch is the right term anymore, <laughs> but just an exp- like, give me sporty watches that don't have to have a bezel mm, yeah, or, yeah. or another feature or, a, you know, give them enough water resistance that I can jump off the dock. Yeah. You know, if you want an example, this is one that this is relatively brand new. Um, this is another one that I'm probably going to buy. Uh, but that new, the new Treasure Seeker. So the Treasure Seeker from Scurf has been teased for a while, the dive version with yeah. the bezel and such. Yeah. But now he has another version that's kind of like in the Nautilus mindshare. Yeah, right. And it's a 37 or 39 millimeters, a bunch of different versions, including one in kind of a goldy tone, which I'm I'm pretty about, mm-hmm. uh, on a rubber strap. I, I think these make a lot of sense. Like make watches that don't have to lean so hard on this promise of being so sporty. Right. Just make a really nice, like everyday, super wearable watch. And I think check out that new treasure seeker. I'll put it in the show notes in case people missed it, but I'm, I'm very excited for that kind of thing. And I hope we see uh, more of it, especially in, in this sort of price point. I think CWC is well aligned. They've got a ton of these things. I just think they need to uh, get, get, get them in front of more people's eyes, that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was wearing the, I, <laughs> it's funny, you know, I was, uh, wearing the the raven airfield for a while and then over the holidays i visited my my folks and and my mom saw it on my wrist and and she likes color you know she's been wearing my seaforth for gosh the better part of a couple 
two, three, four years. I don't know. And uh, yeah, and we switched. We traded back. So I've got the Seaforth back. She's got the the Raven and loves it. It's got that it's kind of deep green dial. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting watch, and it's I think it fits well into the space you're talking about here. Uh, and so does the Seaforth. Yeah. I was wearing that, and I was like, this is refreshing. This is like it's a watch without a rotating bezel. It has some interesting color. And, you know, 200 meter water resistance, like you could do anything you want with it. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think the same with the with the Universa is a great example, right? Yeah. This is a $750 watch, 37 millimeters, strap, nice bracelet, comes with it, lots of color. Uh, still very sporty and eminently wearable, but like just less fuss than a dive watch in many right, ways. Right, And I think that's kind of refreshing. And, and along the same lines as the the field watch the scurfo with the gold tone i would love to see more gold plated options you know sub thousand dollar uh watches like in in my mind i i, I just keep thinking of imagine like a, a brew metric oh yeah with all that color but yeah, in like yeah. plated yellow gold yeah it would just be the most fun and because it would be you know, five hundred dollars, five hundred fifty dollars, whatever it is. Right. When it, when it, when the dust settled, yeah, you wouldn't feel bad about like getting a scratch on it or having a laugh that it was gold. Like it would just be, it's just fun. It's the, <laughs> true, the watch true. equivalent of like a, a of a convertible <laughs> that doesn't ask anything from you except to be driven on sunny days. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I'm, or a Group B now that they have a bracelet. Oh yeah, man, I'd love to see one of those in gold. It'd be so fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll get a little bit more gold plated. I don't. I don't genuinely know what the gen, what the like the wider watch enthusiast view on gold plated is. Mm-hmm. I don't like gold. Solid gold is very hit or miss because the price is insane, right? I think it's coming. Always around. has been. It probably I, always will be. I don't know why. But, I never thought I would be talking about gold as well, but I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm warming to it as well. So something's happening. Oh, I think popularity is up. Yeah. I just think that that like actual like just because of the price of solid gold. Yeah. Um, it, it keeps most people out of it. It would keep me out of it in most scenarios. I'm lucky enough to have one yeah. uh, solid gold chronograph because James Lambden sold it to me for what he paid for it because he's a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I, I think more more gold plated stuff would be fun. I think I think that the whole the whole Cartier the rise of Cartier that we've seen in the last few years, the popularity of the tank. Mm-hmm. Other brands are going to be able to see that and go like, wait, we can make kind of like lightly wearing decoy sort of even gold plated, and we could do it for like fair would be my guess. We could like destroy this. They could make something for $1,200. Yeah. That would have a beautiful dial, maybe a cool gold plated case and be kind of their most dressy thing. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who have a, a, a black Bay 58 or a, a Pelagos or a, a, some other, you know, a, a nice Omega dive watch that like occasionally they want to put on kind of a, a grandpa watch and a big sweater and yeah. sit and listen to music and, and with a gold watch on their wrist. Yeah, I know true. I do. And then, and, yeah, I think that could be kind of fun. I've got uh, something that kind of riffs off of that uh, that grandpa watch kind of uh, fun thing. And I think, and this is going to be a shocker, um, I want to see a return of pocket watches. Whether it's, wow. an appre- whether it's an appreciation for, you know what, I'm putting a stick in the ground. I mean, you've heard it here first. I, I, maybe not first, but one of the first. I mean, I feel like pocket watches, um, we will see a resurgence eventually, I think. And I think both in terms of appreciation for vintage ones at auctions, mm-hmm. et cetera. What if a brand IWC, for instance, or somebody came out with a new pocket watch? Um, and I'm not, I'm not joking here. I mean, I think given the prevalence of people that have this dilemma of like, I've got an Apple watch that I want to wear, but I don't want to you know, double wrist it. Like, where do you carry your watch that you want to appreciate? People don't wear watches generally for diving or rough activities. If it's like a luxury product, what better place to have it on, than on a, 
a fob in your pocket. And to, to that end, I think you'd also need to see a bit of a resurgence in, in, you know, the way clothing is structured to kind of carry a pocket watch, but you know, then there's waistcoats, um, like people used to wear. And I could sort of see the, the style set kind of, uh, bringing waistcoats back and with a little pocket dedicated to a pocket watch. Um, I've got both my grandfather's pocket watches. I don't, I don't wear them, but, um, I pull them out and wind them up, look at the movement every now and then. And I think, uh, I think there's a niche. I don't think it would be hugely popular, but I do think, at least personally, I would love to see them come back in some respect. So I know that's a very odd, odd thing, but I'd love to see it. Uh, that is an odd thing. I gotta be honest. I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Pocket watches. I don't know. I, I, I just, I've just know? focused like, kind of extensively yeah. on a pocket watch story for the last little while for a Hodinkee radio episode. Oh, about yeah. that I mean, lost so JP cool. Morgan. One. Yeah. 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 The, 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 I will say the one thing that, that I think leans in your favor is pocket watches were of course the seat of all watch engineering. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. So deep horology. Mm-hmm. And they they have yet to be even remotely re, re, re-respected. Yeah. If yeah. that term makes any sense. Yeah. So buy them They now. have had no come up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can find pocket watches at just about any antique or junk dealer. That'll mm-hmm. be from great brands. Um, m- Maybe not like maybe not J players or, or, you know, Patek Philippe's or, or like really top stuff, mm-hmm. but like uh, the American brands. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to see Walthams. You're going to see, you know, a bunch of names that, you know, uh, right. and, and I think that, uh, I, I think that there's huge value there as long as you find pocket watch interesting. I think mm-hmm. that for the people who, who like pocket watches now, they're going to have to do some work to share with everyone else to make that kind of wave where suddenly that's what people want, whether it was, you know, 15 years ago, it became steel, uh, sports watches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I could, I could conceivably see it, um, among a certain kind of group of enthusiasts and yeah, where, where now you have a, a, a piece of horological excellence that doesn't even have to be on your wrist, which I, I do kind of see the appeal for that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my left field suggestion i don't know if it'll be 2022 but i'd love to see it yeah but i i'll follow that up with my left field one i would love to see more brands work with carbon mm. you know i still i still want one of those carbon doxes yeah yeah someday i'll make one of those mine i think they're super cool i love the material of the way it looks all the way it feels i don't know how well it holds up that's a, everyone's big question someday i'll be able to answer that question when <laughs> i make the purchase for my own yeah. but um yeah i would love to see more brands work with carbon there was a little while where we saw a handful of where we saw like a handful of micro brands um, kind of dipping their hands into different types of working with the carbon, whether it was forge or layup or, you know, internal structure that was wrapped in carbon, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it'd be fun to see more of that kind of come back around. I don't know how hard it is to work with it. I don't know how many suppliers there are out there, but like if Doxa can do it, I mean, Doxa is kind of like a huge micro brand at this point, right? Yeah, uh, you yeah know, right. They, they were more of a micro brand when it was under Rick's tenure. Yeah, and now they're operating more like a larger brand. But there's, I, I would, I would contend that this probably isn't outside the reach of a lot of brands. I would love to see a Halios in carbon. I would love to see a, a Raven design, you know, redone in carbon. Maybe a limited run, like the way they did a bunch of the, you know, the first run of the the Doxa stuff. See what people think about it. Yeah. But I think that could be kind of exciting. And, and I like the idea that it wouldn't necessarily have to cost a lot more than steel, to my understanding. So you would have this nice alternative. 
Yeah. You might already know X watch in steel or titanium or whatever. And now, but I got the carbon one and then that, you know, it's just, just more variety. And I think it could be kind of fun and exciting to see some more designs using that material. Yeah. I love that idea. And I, I, you know, I, I think regarding the, 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 the fragility or perceived fragility of carbon, I mean, I think, you know, we're all those of us that that love and wear and collect watches. I mean, we, we know it's not good to be bashing around a watch or, or dropping it, um, especially dropping it. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time I dropped a watch, but like you know, uh, even even wearing wearing a watch in anger, whether you're you know diving or running or 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 playing around with your kids or whatever, like the, the odds of, of you smashing it are, are fairly low, and I'm probably worth the risk to wear something that cool. Um, you know, around, I think, uh, yeah, that Doxa, uh, it, it has grown on me more and more and I could totally see, if not me wearing it, I could totally see you wearing one of those. I just think they're, they're great. So yeah, good, good suggestion. And then finally, and we can leave watches after this, we have other, we have other things to chit chat about, but I would love to see more brands in the Swatch stable use the Etta C07 GMT movement. Oh yeah. So right now we have a, a few watches from Mito, the Ocean Star GMT, which is a, a little bit larger. It's of a forty-four millimeter, so that's that's going to be out of the running for my wrist. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see a reasonable sized uh, line of GMT watches that use the. If you want to look it up specifically, we're talking the C O seven six six one. But there's several different versions. The C O seven eight XX has the silicon balance spring. They have one with a synthetic escapement. So there's a few different versions, but it, it, it's there. It's this Swatch brand sort of in-house um, flyer GMT movement. And I just think it needs to be in like vastly more watches. Yeah. yeah. I would love to see it in a, in a sweet Hamilton. I would love to see the Ocean Star Tribute, which is the smaller vintage style Mito dive watch. Mm-hmm. Put it in that. Yeah. Give me a cool vintage diver yeah. with the GMT yeah. movement. Like I, I think that... And, and then we could start seeing... Like I remember when the BB GMT came out and, and we were like, look, you you get GMT Master 2 style GMT tracking, but for half the price. And this would be a quarter of the price of a of a BB GMT. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I think that would yeah. be exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about uh how about we do like some ideas for adventure and diving for the year? Anything anything you've got on the list, hopes? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, so much of this is dependent on uh restrictions lifting, COVID abating a little bit. Um, but you know, I I, I managed to uh, Gashani and I managed one dive trip last year to Bonaire in August and it was ugh, it was it was delightful. I mean, it was so wonderful. And and my that's become kind of our default. It's an easy place for us to go. I would love to to go diving somewhere new this year. Uh, I I have a couple of leads um, in a couple of places. One being uh, Dominica, and the other in out in Monterey, California. I've got friends Ooh. with connections in both places, and I'm like, you know, uh, I need to make something like that happen. So you know, COVID permitting, uh, get somewhere kind of new and interesting uh, rather than kind of play it safe with uh, with. Uh, with the usual dive trips. Um, and then, and then locally, I mean, I love Great Lakes diving. I didn't do, I don't think I did any last year. Um, but then I'm down thinking about going onto the ice again this winter. There's a a local session that happens in in February that I I might uh, be emboldened if it's not too frigid that weekend to, to join them for that. But, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Just gotta, you know, get back, get back underwater a bit. So, yeah, I know that's, uh, I know that's one of yours too. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. It's funny. It's the first one on, on my list is to get back into diving this summer. So I've taken years off since my, my second uh, daughter was born. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it is a hobby that can take up all that time. Yeah. And, and it's great if you, if you have a partner that, that also does it, like in your case, Jason. Yeah. And, and I think we'll, we'll get there. My, I think my wife is keen and, and we'll do that eventually, but I would like to get back into it, get my gear all checked up. Um, and, uh, I got to buy a new mask and that's easy. It's all easy stuff. It's just a taking, driving it around and, and spending the money and then actually committing to getting underwater. So hopefully can do a couple fun dives in Lake Ontario, kind of get my, um, get my gills back as it were. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, maybe splash around a little bit at the cottage. And I, I would love to make it up to Tobermory, uh, whether that's with, uh, yeah. say you and Gashani yeah. or, you know, Cole, uh, Pennington's always keen. Yeah. Uh, for a, for a dive trip, so yeah, a little bit more of that kind of stuff would be great. Yeah, uh, and, and thankfully, the, the most of the burden is just getting stuff out of the garage and taking it to a store and making some new friends and that sort of thing. So it's not, not a big reach, but hopefully, the world's uh, in a slightly different condition by the time the warm weather comes back to uh, this area and we can uh, yeah. we can do a little bit more of this kind of stuff. Although diving is kind of a COVID friendly yeah. um, sport in general, <laughs> you're pretty much on your own. Uh, and you don't have to worry about breath underwater, certainly. Yeah, right. I was gonna say my next one is kind of, kind of uh, overlaps with with that to a certain degree, at least the Tobermory part of it. And I, I, I feel like you know, regardless of, well, not regardless of of how the world shapes up this next year in terms of travel, um, I'd, I'd love to do more of a full on Defender road trip, like somewhere a little, little further, a little more remote, kind of uh, get beyond kind of the five hour radius that we've that we've done so far you know, camping, et cetera. I mean, I remember years ago when Gashani and I did the, the trip around Lake Superior, going across the, the the North Shore, across some remote areas in Northern Ontario. And, you know, you swing around, you actually get uh, kind of over there close to or within striking distance of, of the Tobermory area. And uh, mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool to throw some dive tanks in the back and and meet you over there, you know, after doing like a going across the top of Lake Superior and, and camping and, you know, kind of just doing this, doing this full on like multi-sport, you know, a little bit of hiking camp out of the back of the truck, have dive tanks, you know, I don't know if I'd trust them strapped to the roof rack, but you know what I mean? Like keep them kind of stowed in the back and like use them mm-hmm. just, just kind of a rollicking old, old fashioned kind of road trip that would be, you know, more COVID friendly than trudging through airports and sitting on long flights, uh, border crossings notwithstanding i mean i think uh i think something like that could happen so fingers crossed yeah. that'd be really fun i'd love to do something like that that would combine interests you know yeah no I, I agree the next one on my list was to kind of explore more of the gta the greater toronto area's outer reaches stuff that's like say three four hours yeah. from where i live yeah uh, so some of that's the cottage which is two hours and then there's a whole kind of area of influence around there that we could check out more often but i feel like a, the the when I moved to Toronto, it was, uh, you know, 2019, uh, early 2019. And, and at the time I was traveling, you know, half, maybe more than half of my year. Yeah. So when I was home, I was like home, home. I wasn't here to, to then I wouldn't come back on a Thursday and go out on a Friday and try and find some adventure. I had just gotten back from yeah. travel and, and the rest of it. Uh, and I think because of that, I kind of have this generally negative opinion of this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't given it a fair shake. I know it's it's me. It's not Toronto, not Toronto or southeastern Ontario. Uh, I do miss Vancouver, but that's fine. Um, not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, so I would like to just kind of explore more of this. So some of this is you know we we went to um, 
Rockwood recently, which is a great conservation area. Uh, we're going to try and find some off-road driving, maybe some more legit like backcountry camping, uh, that sort of thing. You have to go fairly far to get to parts of Ontario that are, uh, you know, not owned by somebody. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, that that's also another goal. And I think would be a nice way, depending on how much work we decide to do on the uh, cottage property uh, right. this summer, there might be some some chances to kind of dig a little bit further. Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of the, the, we both have this sort of uh, road trip driving theme. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it kind of leads a good segue into kind of car projects. I think in order to tackle that that full on Defender road trip, I think, uh, you know, I've got a few things I need to kind of get squared away, sorted out with uh, with the Defender. Um, I'd, I'd like to, to kind of redo the headliner inside, get some new rims. And then if there's any further off-road adventures like I had last year, um, kind of outfit the bottom, maybe protect it a little bit with some skid plates and, and diff yeah. covers. Um, and then in terms of the old Land Rover, the Series 3, it's been in the shop for a couple months now. Um, I'm not in a hurry to get it back because it's winter and I don't really have a good spot to park it. But I, I think it's going to need a new clutch, which is good and bad. It needed it. Um, I'll be happy to have it back with that. Um, but then I'm thinking like as a as a second, more of the hobby Land Rover, like I'm thinking it'd be fun to take off the roof. You know, it's got yeah. a hard top. And, and get a canvas canvas roof or just leave it roofless and park it in the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think uh, I think those might be kind of the two big uh, kind of vehicle related projects for for 2022. What, what about you with the Jeep? Yeah, yeah it's funny. I'd, I would also <laughs> like to take the hard top off. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, this past summer season, I didn't take it off because we'd filled that space in our oh, storage yeah. unit in, in the garage here um, with bikes. A family's right. worth of bicycles <laughs> takes up yeah. about the same space as the Jeep's hardtop. So I, I wouldn't mind being able to put the soft top back on it because it's fun to just throw it back at a stoplight and, and, and have sort of the, the convertible experience. I've got a problem with the rear gate on the Jeep. So there's a little arm that actually isn't what stops it. It's the shape of the hinges that actually gives it like um, a point where it stops, a detente. Oh, yeah. But there is this catch, um, and, and the name of it is is failing me. It's a part. It's not that expensive. But last summer at the cottage, I was parked uh, perpendicular to an incline. So when I opened the door, it, it like overextended. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the, the gate on the back of the Jeep also has the spare tire on it. So it's very sure. heavy. Yeah, and I just didn't have my hand on it like I normally would, and I extended it and actually popped this arm out of its little mount. Yeah, yeah. And trying to restore the arm to the mount was a fool's errand. Uh, there's people on YouTube <laughs> that do it with two or three people and a bunch of weight and the rest of it. Oh, it's like a fifty dollar part, so I'll probably just buy the part and install it. Yeah. Um, and not worry about it. But I just haven't gotten around to it yet because on level surface, the the little the shape of the hinge actually stops, but. If you're not careful, and or if wind or the lean of the vehicle catches it, the the door overextends, it bends the hinges, and it smashes your rear light. Yeah, yeah, and actually can cause like some substantial damage if you don't keep a hand on it. So I need to sort that out. Handbrake needs a little service. Um, so some simple stuff. Yeah. Uh, considering going back to the factory exhaust, uh, I put a, a axle back on it a little while back just because the, the one that was on there was failing and I got it in my mind that I needed one that sounded better and what I got was one that drones on the highway. <laughs> uh, which for an axle back is probably the only way that was ever going to go. There was just some um, poor decision making on my part, we'll say. Uh, but uh, <laughs> So I, I haven't quite decided yet. I would love something that's a little bit quieter at say 2,000 RPM on the highway in sixth gear, but I like that when I downshift in this, 
I can hear the blip. I can hear, I can it kind of, it's, it's a little bit more sonorous. You, you do get a little bit more feedback. Uh, and the one that was in it originally, all you kind of get is the friction of the motor, the, the strain. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll see if maybe we can split the difference. I don't know. We'll, we'll work on that. It's not a, not a big deal either way. You, you end up not even noticing it on a long enough drive, but it is there and it's loud. <laughs> uh, these are, are not quiet vehicles, uh, older <laughs> Land Rovers and 10 year old Jeeps. Yeah. So. Right. Right. But yeah, I, th- I think that's probably it for driving. I would love to drive more, you know, like like if we're using the cottage as like a home base and, and start to explore more of the outer reaches. But I think that more in ties, I think that more ties with what we had spoken about previously. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, like creative outlets? Uh, where, do, where do you see, I mean, if you, if you get a little bit more of a breather this year than you did last year work-wise, what, what ambitions do you have in that area? Yeah, you know, I, I've been wanting a new project, kind of like something to focus um, especially the photography. So I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm not sure if it's going to be more of like a digital presentation or a book. I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I would like to do something in photography that's not watches or cars. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and even if it ends up being something I don't publish that I don't turn into a book or whatever, I just, I would like something to take an idle mind and give it a little bit of a, an aesthetic output. Yeah. Um, uh, so that that's still on on the on the plan. I'm not sure if that would be film or digital or or what. I I haven't quite worked that out. But uh, some sort of a, a photo project, I think, for the year would be fun. Something kind of a little bit more grandiose than I've done in the past. And then to tie in with that would be this what we spoke about with the with the Wacom tablet would just be to specifically kind of develop my photo editing skills to be faster and and more repetitive and 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 kind of at a more professional level than they are yeah, now. Yeah. And then for TGN, I mean it's it's I want more guests, I want deeper topics. I, I would love to find a way to pour a bunch of extra value into the supporter crew. Right. Kind of level, whether that's the occasional fun post, you know, if if we all get together and do like a a, a drive dive kind of weekend or something, like turn that into a little video element and a photo report and and some words yeah, and, and this yeah. or that. And just kind of lean into a little bit of that. And, and I think a lot of that will come naturally as soon as, as soon as we kind of ease our way into whatever the life is going to be as COVID kind of becomes more of a daily normal thing right. versus the only right, thing. Right. I think we're, you know, here we are entering our sixth year of, of TGN and I, um, or, or is mm-hmm. it our seventh year anyway, um, sixth or seventh year. And I, I'm actually feeling more excited about, um, the future of TGN than I ever have in, in the past what five or six years. And, and I think that's really exciting. I think, uh, yeah. I think we've just got a lot of opportunity and a lot of that comes down to, uh, to our, our supporters. So I, I agree. I think we can do some big stuff here. You know, the big push for me this year, I I've committed to, to writing that follow-up novel to depth charge and, yes. and, uh, I'm, I'm working hard on it. I've, I've kind of adapted my, my work structure. I was finding it hard to, to do much creative writing during the day. I was always just getting caught up with, you know, uh, FedEx runs and, uh, you know, writing my sub stack and, you know, recording TGN and then errands and just doing household stuff. And, and I was getting a little frustrated with like, when can I build in that time? But, um, what I found is that I'm, 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 I'm getting up so early these days that I've taken to, to doing my writing first thing in the morning, like we're talking like five thirty, and I can put in a good oh, two okay. hours of creative writing, knock out a thousand words or more, um, you know, before Gashani wakes up, before the world wakes up. Um, so I have, you know, a bowl of cereal, a cup of coffee, and I'm, I'm sitting there writing by, you know, by 6am and, and it's, uh, it's, it's been nice. I've, I've been fairly productive and I think that's my big goal for the year. I, I really would like to at least have a final, 
you know, full on draft manuscript done by the end of the year, if not, if not done and, and ready to, to publish. So that's, that's exciting. That's kind of my big thing. And then in terms of depth charge, it's continuing to, to sell reasonably well. I'm still getting good feedback from, from readers. Um, and I know people have been asking, we can make that audio. Yeah. People have been asking me about the audiobook, and, <laughs> and I did take steps yesterday. So I'm, and I, I'd love feedback from you and from, from listeners, um, in terms of an audiobook. first of all, is there interest? I think there is, but also I, I'm torn between whether or not I should be the one reading it. Uh, uh, there's definite advantages to that and appeal. I know of having an author read his own work, um, or hiring an actual professional audiobook narrator, um, of, mm-hmm. of which there are many very talented people that do this for a living. Um, and to, 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 you know, pretend that I can do it as well in terms of accents and inflections and that sort of thing as, as somebody that does this for a living, um, is frankly probably a little insulting to the, some of those people. Um, so I've been, I actually opened it up for auditions on, uh, on audible. They have a program where you can, you know, put out a sample script and, and listen to, to some, auditions, audiobook auditions. And I've, I've gotten some, some good ones, some not so good ones. Uh, so I'm, I'm still weighing it. Gashani and I listen to them every day. Uh, I'm surprised at the number of auditions that have come in. Um, so, you know, there, there's a production element to it, which I don't think is, is too daunting if I decide to do it myself and, and you've offered your help and, and a few others. And, and I feel I've got the theme music from my, my friend Oren who, who composed that, right. that wonderful theme song. So I, I think all the elements are there. I'm just trying to decide whether or not it should be me doing it or, or hire someone to do it. So here's where I would weigh in. Um, and, and here's what, here's what we can do. We can actually also involve everyone who's listening, who's part of the Substack, paid or otherwise, you just need an account so you can make a comment. Yeah. Um, in, in the notes for this episode, I'm going to put a, should Jason make an audio book comment? Yeah. Yeah. Just click like if you think yes. Oh, yeah. And we'll see how hmm. many people go like, yeah, I would listen to Good it. idea. And um and and we'll go from there. Maybe it'll cost a few bucks in the end, whatever it is. Um, in my opinion, Jason, you know, I look back on my history with audiobooks, yeah. which is in the pretty early days of Audible. Yeah. Um, and I remember uh on on a standard iPhone uh <laughs> iPod, uh I went and got um a bunch of Chuck Klosterman stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And he's a fantastic writer. I think I've talked about him on the show before. But if you don't know Chuck Klosterman, he's a pop culture and sports writer. He's written a handful of really incredible books. I highly recommend them. They are kind of funny, um, not like comedy, but they are funny, kind of prescient, uh, in-depth looks at various elements of popular culture and media and the zeitgeist yeah, at the yeah. time. And and he's an incredible writer. And and he does the voice for at least all the audiobooks I listened to, you know, 15, almost 20 years yeah. ago. Um, this would have been when I was in university. So, uh, not quite 20. The, the thing is, is he doesn't, ha- you have, I think you have a great voice. Obviously I, I could be biased, I, I, but I have to listen to it a lot. So <laughs> I think I might actually be the opposite. I think you have a great voice and, uh, Klosterman doesn't. Oh yeah. But after a few, a few chapters, I would have been so bummed if I had gone from, uh, sex, drugs, and cocoa puffs to Chuck Klosterman four, and for four they they had a a, a professional. Mm, yeah, uh, I really came to love that I knew that it was his voice, that his voice was kind of imperfect, that it wasn't necessarily the most. It was professionally produced. He did nothing wrong, and in any in many ways, I think they did everything right by going this direction. Yeah. But uh, it, it it's my two cents that we could record it, I could produce it, and we could just decide where to distribute it and how. Yeah, um, yeah. and then go from there. Uh, but I also understand. It takes a huge time and, and effort thing off your plate if somebody else records it. 
especially someone who's probably done a bunch of books before. So it comes back cleaner and faster than if you and I do it kind of over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm uh, I'm totally on board if you want to give it a try. I think I think we could make it, and I think people would love it for sure. I think, I, and this is a drilling down to a more specific question. I don't want to bog us down here, but um, the the real question is accents. There are a lot of accents. For those of you that read the book, you'll know um, a lot of different nationalities pop up in the book, and my comfort level doing. A northern English accent versus a, you know, an Australian accent versus a Sri Lankan accent is is low. So, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not I attempt those or just kind of change inflection or kind of do it half heartedly um, is, is, is where I'm kind of stumbling. So uh, I'm, I don't want to bog us down here too much with this. But if you do have comments about this, uh, definitely, you know, re- respond to James's comment and, and also uh, feel free to DM me or even write to the gray NATO at gmail.com. And, and just let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, cool. So, yeah. Uh, hey, I think that's a good one. I also think that, you know, this is turning out to be a pretty long episode. We've got a lot, lots to chit-chat about looking forward to the year. I think a year in which, you know, we're able to do some adventuring. I can get back into diving. Yeah. Maybe I get a little bit fitter. Maybe it's a Peloton. And you put out an audio book. That sounds yeah. like a pretty good 2022. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how about some final notes? You put a bow on it. Yeah, definitely. Why don't you go first? Sure. So mine is uh, a movie that I I've been told to watch so many times by my brother, uh, you know, who my, my brother Tim, who's been on the show and has done uh, single serving cinema uh, with Tay, uh, which you guys should definitely be listening to if you're not. It's a fantastic movie podcast. Um, but my brother kept recommending this movie called Pig. It's from last year. It's a Nick Cage movie. Um, it, you know, the, I think the trailer is maybe a bit misleading at first. You kind of think like, is this a John wick, but instead of a, a puppy, <laughs> it's a pig. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that, that isn't what it is. This is a uh, directed by, uh, Michael Sarnosky hmm. and it's a, uh, it's this really incredible story about this sort of Dick Prennicky type, uh, Nick Cage. I, I, I will preface this by, I think, um, you say whatever you want about Nick Cage. Uh, I think if you have a, a negative opinion of, of him, as an actor, I would I would just encourage you to expand your horizons on his work. Go back and check out uh, Moonstruck. Go back and check out uh, what was the um, the the one that Ridley Scott did after Gladiator, Matchstick Men. Go check out Matchstick Men. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like the classics, Face Off, The Rock, Con Air. Like those are. I think most people kind of know those, but I think it's easy to look at that movie and see that some of his personality is huge, but his talent I think is very subtle. Um, I, to say to make it short is like you look at this guy he's a filmography of 109 actors credit at this point <laughs> I think he's one of the the talents of his generation um, no exaggeration I don't mean that as like a, a joke in any way I know that like it's funny to make fun of Nick Cage when he's kind of going like swinging for the fences the big shouting acting you know <laughs> I didn't like I, in fact I absolutely hated um, uh, the remake of Wicker Man so I'm not saying like everything he's in is great yeah but my goodness, is pig good. He plays like a like a Dick Prennicky type who's kind of withdrawn from society after some tragedy. He lives in the woods in Oregon, not that far from Portland. And his only friend is a pig that helps him find truffles, which is how he supports his living. Hmm. He interfaces with um, a restaurateur or a, I guess a truffle supplier in Portland who comes out once a week and picks up some, some truffles. Um, the story, uh, which you can get from the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away. Somebody decides to steal this pig um, uh, to try and you know make a power play in the Portland restaurant scene. Huh. And it's about Cage kind of traveling back to Portland, having to kind of confront things that he ran away from at a time in his life when he left. 
Uh, and it's a, a really, it's beautifully shot. The dialogue's incredible. The music is great. Everything about this movie is fantastic. Um, it, it's not especially violent. So if you don't like a violent movie, I think this would work. It has a heart. It has a soul. Um, if you if you imagine a John Wick, I, I guess there's a similarity there, but replace all the violence with like cooking, I guess, and talking about <laughs> wow. food. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's I I can't I can't uh, kind of say enough nice things about this. Pig's a great movie, and huh. everyone should ch- should check it out. Huh. Nick Cage is a wonder, um, and and there's a handful of other great actors in there. I don't really want to give anything away because sometimes they give you an actor in the third act, and you're like, oh look who that is. That's fun. Um, I wonder if sometimes it's fun not to spoil that. I wonder if sometimes filmmakers and the marketers, you know, they they they're they're they lack the confidence that a certain theme or certain storyline will be popular. So they try to like brand it differently. Cause the, the lead photo that you know, just this brooding face of Nick cage and, and yeah. you know, the title and everything. And it's just like, I, unless you'd told me, I just, there's no way I would have watched this, but now, now it's on the list because uh, it just doesn't look like anything what, that you're describing. <laughs> but I think like pig is a movie, like even my mom, my parents would like, huh? Wow. Uh, I think it just has a nice story and, and, and I I want to I want to see Nick Cage come back. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you read a little bit about his personal life and what happened with um with his financial scenario, the guy got dealt a bad hand, mm. and all he's ever done is put out like every performance is a hundred percent of what he had in him. Yeah, uh, and and whether it's you know I'm a huge fan of The Rock. I think he's great in that. I think that movie's great, despite you know not being one, even one of my remotely favorite directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just thrilled to see him in in movies like this, and I think this is a like a, a quiet, thoughtful patient sort of movie that I just didn't know what was going to happen next, but it was never like, it wasn't a horror film. It wasn't an action film. It wasn't a thriller. Like it's this different sort of thing. It's great. Hmm. Cool. Going to give it a, I'll give don't it a trust try. the trailer. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, you could say that for almost any movie these yeah. days. Yeah. Right. Um, where you're like, I don't, I don't know that this trailer really sold me on, on what <laughs> ended up being kind of the gold right. in the pan at the end of this movie. So yeah. yeah, pig is, is great. I highly recommend it. All right. Well, I, my, uh, my final note is, um, Kind of, kind of pertinent for our the theme of today's episode. Uh, yeah. If you remember our former TGN guest Sean Lurwill, uh, kind of fitness expert, uh, ex Royal Marine, watch guy, fantastic Instagram follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sean also has a, a YouTube channel, and he posts kind of short videos, usually of just him kind of talking about a subject that occurs to him that week. And uh, recently, I, I saw him doing about a five minute chat about how he he's taken up meditation recently and it, it kind of resonated with me. And, and, you know, I think particularly in winter, you know, we, it, it's kind of a time of year when, you know, it's dark and cold and we're starting to get cabin fever, anxiety kind of creeps in, you start to worry about stuff. And, and I, I don't know, at that time I was like, I might give this a go. And, you know, look, uh, Sean's a good endorsement in my mind. I think he's, uh, uh, a lot of what he says is is, is smart and, and true. And, and so I gave it a shot. And he said that he'd been using the the Headspace app. Now, Headspace uh, has a series of programs on Netflix with, uh, with Headspace's founder kind of guiding you through various meditations and topics around meditation. Uh, the app is similar. They have, you know, hundreds of um, kind of guided meditations with with various people doing it, you know, depending on what voice appeals to you or or. You can read the bios of all of these uh, these people that are uh, part of Headspace, and um, it's it's a subscription. So I signed up for like a free trial, and then it'll ultimately go to you know six seven bucks a month or something, and and we'll see how far along I keep that subscription before I maybe just keep doing this on my own. But 
I've been doing it for about a week. And as I mentioned earlier, I get up quite early in the morning, uh, you know, five, five thirty, and I usually eat and have my coffee. And then I come in my office, it's kind of dark and, and warm. And I just sort of sit here and I do these 10 minute guided meditations that really aren't, aren't, you know, religious or spiritual, whatever you want to call them, but they're more just kind of focused on mindfulness and kind of settling you, um, right. without any kind of judgment or, or, you know, lofty goals. And it's, I've already noticed a difference in the, in the week. I think it's even the small acts of doing something positive in your life and kind of changing your mindset can make you, um, set you on a good course for a, a given day, a given week, you know, a given year. And it's led to, you know, as I mentioned, I've started, uh, I do this 10 minute meditation, drop down to a few pushups. Then I sit at my desk and I write for an hour, an hour and a half. And, and it's just, it's set me off on, on, on really a good course for the day. And by the time it's, you know, three, four in the afternoon, I'm, you know, I'm feeling content. I feel like I've done something that day and, and I'm, I'm feeling calmer and, you know, I, I, I've tried meditation in the past and it hasn't quite worked for me, but so far, this is working great, and I'm not saying you have to use the Headspace app. We'll, we'll throw the link in the show notes. I guess that's my, that is my final note for today. So, so give it a shot, or at least uh, check it out, or or the the programs on Netflix. But uh, yeah, thanks to thanks again to Sean for kind of uh, keying me in on that and uh, and making awesome. me aware. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been great. So give it a shot if it's for you. Yeah, I've that's been on my mind for a while. You know, I, I'm I'm a I like to listen to a lot of the podcasts and and kind of stuff that Kevin Rose puts out, and he's a big proponent of this. I think he has his own app called Oak, maybe. Huh. And um and then there's Calm, and then there's uh, Headspace. I think Headspace is the like big market piece from that. My brother's used it before and really likes it. And it's so weird that because we haven't talked about this, there's there's aspects of things that we talk about constantly on our Slack and then we leave other stuff and it just kind of shows up in the notes. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, this has been on my mind for the last few days. I'm, I'm doing a dry January and fixing some diet stuff. And then I was thinking like, well, may, maybe, you know, they say it takes 28 days or whatever to start a new habit, like yeah. to make it a habit. Yeah. So maybe when I make it through dry January, as sad as a month as it makes me, <laughs> may, maybe February, I'll, I'll get your impressions from your January with, with, um, meditation and maybe yeah. February case it be a meditation uh, month. I think that's great. I think it's awesome. Uh, I, I, I certainly have a lot of, um, kind of noisy brain chemistry, I think maybe, yeah. maybe everyone does. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. so maybe that could be helpful. I know my, I have, uh, I have a few people in my life who are big, big fans of it and are always talking about it, Yeah. which sometimes makes me want to less and sometimes makes me want to more, but with the start of a new year, the idea that you might see the benefits you know, pay off from, from learning a new practice. I, I like that feeling a lot. Yeah. And sometimes it, it, it takes years and, and multiple people telling you about something before it kind of registers with you, or maybe it's just the right time in life for to, to try it. And, and for me, um, that's been, that's been now for whatever reason, I think 2021 was kind of my year to, for physical fitness. And I think, you know, I'll continue that on, but, but 2022, I think is, uh, it's shaping up to be kind of a, a good year to kind of take, take better care of my brain, my psychology. And I think uh, this is a big step in that direction. So yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That's an episode. It was a long one uh, this week, but uh, you know, I I think it's going to be a long year and I hope that we're able to find every kind of moment that that's available to any of us, Jason, myself, and anyone who's listening and kind of make the most out of it. And, uh, and I think our goal with this was kind of lay it out and see what we can what we can kind of make happen um, and, and hopefully inspire a few people to uh, to do the same or to make a change or who knows, it could be 
headspace. It could be a Jeep. It could be also good good decisions, bad decisions, whatever. But I mean, keep moving. Yeah. Right. Uh, pocket try watches. and stay sharp. <laughs> yeah. Pocket watches. Exactly. We're all going to be talking pocket watches by 2023. Right. I know it. I can feel it. Yep. Uh, you know, hey, we, we've we've predicted weirder things, I think, on the show <laughs> in our in our many years. But yeah, uh, yeah. you know, as always, uh, you know, thanks so much for listening. And you can subscribe to the show notes via notes.thegraynado.com, or you can check the feed for more details and links. You can uh, follow us on Instagram at Jason Heaton and at Jay Stacy, and you can follow the show at the Graynado. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us. Uh, maybe even picking up a brand new TGN signed NATO. Just hit graynado.com for that. And, uh, you know, furthermore, please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcast. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Winston Churchill, who said, To improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. <laughs>